everybody. Welcome back to Signal Flow. I'm your host for today, Ben Thomas. When you look at the world of mission critical versus commercial installation, there's a lot of things that we have to consider as a community, especially from an IT standpoint. And one of the things that, that you've seen kind of from a manufacturer's side of the world is that folks are trying to find ways to either repurpose or reapply some of their existing technology into mission critical spaces, whether that's uh, displays, whether that's KVMs, whether that's infrastructure and cabling in the IT side of the world. So it's important for us to have a conversation today to kind of make a distinction between the two, because there's a lot of different considerations that the mission critical side of the world has versus traditional installation. Uh, so I wanted to bring on a cybersecurity expert today and an infrastructure expert to help walk through that with us. Uh, and that's Wayne Doris from Access Communications. Wayne, thanks so much for coming on today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Very welcome. We're excited to have you and have this conversation. And Wayne, the first question is going to be this. Uh, I kind of mentioned it a little bit in, in at the beginning segment here, but um, our community sometimes has a, a challenge dis drawing the distinction between the mission critical side of the world and the commercial installation side of the world. And as we uh, kind of frame our conversation today, it's important to set the stage in there. Could you talk about some of the differences, especially from an IT and, and infrastructure side? What are some of the considerations from mission critical standpoint that maybe commercial installations uh, don't have to quite uh, meet the standards for? Yeah, a lot of it is, uh, and I thank you for that question, we develop product, it can be used in both cases, but what will happen in a mission critical environment is the vetting process uh, will be very different. Uh, they will want to understand what compliances uh, that the product may have, and then they'll also really want to study the hardening guide aspect of your product because they're going to be applying many more um, aspects for that for their security baseline. If we looked at base cybersecurity baselines between the two, obviously there's a higher uh, set of requirements for anything that's mission critical. So, you know, that's part of it. The, the other part of it is that um, you will probably have to go through a lot of, lot more testing. Uh, usually where we see, where we run into this in federal government environments, uh, type of stuff, you will have to actually go to a test lab, demonstrate that it'll actually work on their uh, pre-production offline system and ensure that the integrations, ensure that all the protocols that you're working uh, will work. So yeah, the bar is much higher when you get to that environment. And so yeah, you're going to have to, um, not only on the product side, they're also going to look at you as a the cybersecurity posture of your organization as well. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little later, but uh, that's definitely a difference. We will. And you mentioned one of the places that that applies is the government side of the world, but mission critical can also include things like air traffic control, mm -hmm. network operations centers, security operations centers, uh, access control management, things like that. So really places where you, you, you actually are in no fail zones and, and uh, you can't, you literally can't have gear that's going to fail you. Right. But you also have a lot of these hardening requirements uh, that have to happen uh, as well. And, and I want to kind of ask really on a high level too, especially from the IT uh, and cybersecurity side of the world, what are some of the common vulnerabilities typically that you see uh, in some of these maybe mission critical installations? And what are some of the ways that whether it's through infrastructure building or technology or product uh, that you're seeing folks on the mission critical side of the world really address a lot of those? Sure. Yeah. So Access participated in the uh, Thought Labs report of 2022, and we sent out a, or we were part of a group that sent out uh, a survey to a thousand CISOs worldwide. And we wanted to understand what was the root cause 
uh, of an actual breach. And the three basic things came back. Of course, there was human error at 50%, which makes sense. This is uh, you keeping people from clicking on things uh, in your organization. But what's interesting is after, quickly after that, uh, you have misconfiguration of uh, devices at 44% and then poor maintenance and patching at 43%. So when we look at the recent Mandiant uh, M report, which came out earlier this year in 2023, the initial infection vector, we see exploitation of vulnerabilities at 32%, which leaded uh, phishing, which was only 22% by 10%. So really, the basis here is what we're getting down to is vulnerability exploitation is the common theme. And so what we see differently, say, between regular commercial is we will see uh, whether their vulnerability scanning or patching uh, will be at a much, uh, say, they, they, they apply patches every 30 days, 45 days, et cetera, based on, you know, when a manufacturer has a patch to put in, but in the critical, um, in the mission critical environment, uh, I see where they, they are scanning every day and they usually, uh, they can even have stuff like within 24, 48 hours, we expect a patch, but usually a lot of that is seven days, 14 days uh, at the latest. The reason being they're, they're re you know, you're relying on these systems, but what really makes the difference is when you're gonna be working in that space, uh, they are going to be evaluating a, a vendor's product for their software development lifecycle, uh, their vulnerability policy, and their vulnerability policy according to third-party uh, software packages. Uh, and this is where we saw recent developments in software bill of materials. Uh, this is where we saw Executive Order 14028, where they were saying, hey, we if we're a mission critical, we have to understand when we buy an access product, we're buying access software and firmware as part of that product. But what also am I buying as part of that uh, software? Well, I'm buying Apache, OpenSSL, I'm buying all these other third-party components. And so they want to have a repository of or a list of these things uh, at time of procurement so that they understand what all they're buying under the hood. But let's go back to the software development lifecycle, because if you're really going to stop these things uh, in the development phase, uh, one of the things you're going to want to look at is what is their uh, security development model. In other words, as they're producing software, what is the, they should have documentation, like at Access, we have our Access security development model, it's on our website. You will see, okay, this is where we do an assessment, we threat model, we're gonna do static code analysis, PIM testing, bug bounty programs, all of these things uh, that we're trying to do as a mature vendor to ensure that we're not we're producing products with as less vulnerability as we can. So, um, and it's important for when you're choosing products to understand that product's life cycle through the whole thing. And that's from development, to production, to onboarding, to while it's uh, in maintenance, keep it going. And then also a, also a very important aspect is decommissioning, ensuring that you're taking out all of the critical information that's in that device, particularly if it's been de deployed in a mission critical environment. Well, Wayne, there, there's, that was an incredible answer. There's so much to unpack there. Uh, I'm going to put a pin in the, in the staffing side and human error side. We'll come back to that in a minute. But I, I love how you, you kind of focused on that product development and installation side of the world, right? It, especially from the cybersecurity, whether that's software management, cloud management, whatever. 
you know, that, that process is so important uh, from an installation side, right? So if I'm an IT manager, I have to have products and, and obviously this is part of the, the procurement process as well, but I have to have access to products that I know are going to work. How do you, well, A, not only, not only do they have to work, but they have to be easy to use. How do you balance that, that need for uh, maybe usability and functioning with, with obviously the hardening and uh, the security side of that world? Yeah, it's um, so I'll, I'll say particularly from our perspective at Axis, right, the the hardening aspect changes. And this is one of the reasons sometimes when we see uh, people say, oh, well, your default configuration is too open. Right. But the point is, we don't know if the product is going to end up in a retail convenience store. Same said product potentially can end up in mission critical, you know, a nuclear plant, whatever. So the point is there, the hardening guide shows you there's a lot of different parts that you can apply. And that should also be lined up with whatever your, your IT security baseline policy is for that environment. So the idea is, oh, okay, if you're doing, you know, you might be able to accept, um, self-signed certificates in that lower, uh, you know, C-store environment just to provide encryption, but you're not really worried about authentication. But on the other side, right, uh, in the mission uh, critical, we're going to want to see, do you support Active Directory? Uh, can you, how do we manage certificates? We're going to manage our own C8 certificates. Obviously, we're not going to trust a self-signed certificate. So, when you, you really have to look at the hardening guides and align those with the policies into the environment that they're going. And so you want to take the time to ensure if we choose this product, can I sufficiently add the hardening controls that are very similar to what they're using in IT to this product? Yeah. And, and that's, that's an interesting spot to be in, right? Because whether you're whether you're an, a traditional integrator, whether you're maybe someone as a manufacturer who's who's trying to create products and, and make products that uh, are going to fit in mission critical environments, those are considerations that you you have to take into place, right? And and from an IT manager perspective, right, how does that look a little bit different from maybe the traditional commercial installation side of the world, right? Obviously, we know that 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 you know, whether it's air gaps, whether it's uh, lockdown security, multi-factor, there's a lot of different things that you have to consider and implement on the mission critical side from an IT standpoint. But what are some of the things from a product uh, procurement and selection side of the world that uh, a lot of these folks are, are taking into consideration? What are some of the ways on the manufacturer side, really, that you can help be proactive and prescriptive to a lot of these folks, maybe who uh, are less familiar with the actual uh, product implementation side? Yeah, there's. Uh, if you looked at our uh, website for our tactical resources that we have under cybersecurity, again, you're going to see here's our um, access security development model, which is our SDLC. Uh, you're going to have our vulnerability policy, and there will also be the vulnerability policy for us and for third-party packages. Uh, you're going to see guidelines for how to use our product with security scanners like Nessus, uh, Rapid7, whatever you may have, so that if you're scanning the product that there will be some things that will show up. These are the common things that you're going to get every time. So uh, the, the biggest thing is if if a vendor doesn't have a comprehensive program uh, and it's easy for you to provide documentation that they've said, here's our hardening aspects, here's how it works with vulnerability guides, 
this is what we do in development. These are all the products and features, and these are ways that you can help harden the, the product. Those are the things you have to look for. And then as an integrator, it's, it's really, you may be forced if the end customer obviously forces that to you, but it's also an opportunity for you to differentiate if you're working with regular commercial clients and asking these questions saying, hey, what is your encryption policy? Do you encrypt all your data going back and forth? You know, it can really provide a differentiator for you as a uh, uh, as a value add to the service that you're providing to your client. Oh, Wayne, I want to circle back to to one of the things that you mentioned earlier. I think it was 50 percent of breaches are, are caused by human error. Is that what you said? Yeah, that was the what, what we got back in 2022. Now, this is human error, meaning. Uh, this is phishing. Somebody clicked on something they didn't uh, mean to, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, credentials have gotten stolen off uh, another website, you know, et cetera. So. Well, and, and that is, look, that's just staggering, right? I mean, it, maybe it's good to know that, that, that about half of the, uh, the breaches or compromisations, compromisations, I don't know if that world, half of the compromises are coming from that human error and not the product side. But, the, you know, how, especially from an implementation standpoint, right? Let's, let's, let's use a network operations center, for an example, right? Very operator driven, obviously leveraging a lot of technologies like AI, maybe for detection of, of weapons or unauthorized entry, things like that. There's a lot of that happening in the background, but there, there is, a role that that operator has to play, right? How important is that operator experience in, in, in helping eliminate maybe some of these human errors? And we talk about phishing, right? That is maybe not the, the, the best example right now, but from, from an actual operator standpoint, what are some of the ways that, that we can help as a community empower folks, whether it's through product design or, or software yeah. design to prevent some of those human errors? Right. So one of the most critical aspects is most products will have a syslog or support remote syslog. Uh, one of the most important conversations, obviously, if they have a in that SOC environment, if they have a CM or source system, you know, uh, security orchestration and response or security incident event management uh, platform, a lot of it they will be running AI on the, on the syslog uh, databases. So a lot of it, a lot of times what I see, uh, particularly from our products, uh, for critical IT environments and for what they're doing, uh, if it's critical to the business to make money, yeah, those things all get integrated. And then they go, well, I have all this other stuff. I have my AV system, my video surveillance system, my physical access control. Sometimes those things, those logs, because they say, well, that's under physical securities side, a lot of times those logs don't end up in the same repository. So they don't have the advantage of being monitored or to be able to understand, hey, there is an incident or an environment and roll that into the systems uh, that the SOC is actually watching. So well, the, the, the first part, uh, you know, is for that. The second thing when we look at SOC, uh, let's face it, if you're a... Uh, IT administrator, you have your one thing I, th I think that, you know, the network is completely changing, right? You have people bringing their own cell phones They're, you know, you have public environments. So your, your, your network's never really static, right? But the idea is you have so many more uh, things under your responsibility that secure enrollment so that a device can announce, hey, I'm this type of device. And this is where we see with zero trust, right? 
that basically I understand what this device is. Okay, I understand this is my uh, provisioning policy for that device. And then I can sign, get another certificate for it. And now I can put it onto my production network, whether that's mission critical or, you know, standard business. So the idea is that the admin doesn't have time to, by hand, ensure that we make these things happen. And so this is where we're seeing automation being a critical key to apply those baselines, ensure that the configurations are correct, and that uh, as per a policy, I understand what's on my network. And, th and then that information gets rolled into the SOC. Wayne, I got to be honest, I'm still blown away by the 50% number. I think it is... It is well, it shouldn't surprise you, right? If you look at the amount of cybercrime in 2022, is $6 trillion worldwide, right? So if we look at that based on world economies, that would be the third largest world economy right behind uh, U.S. and China. So this is a reason why people are like, why do I get all these weird emails? Why do I get all these weird, uh, you know, phishing texts? Because they're like, hey, I just cast this huge net. Somebody's going to do something and... And, and that's the way that it works. So, and as soon well, as they... and that's the reason why we have to have this conversation, right? Not mm -hmm. only from the IT professional standpoint, where where you're worried about physical security and access hardening, um, you know, of, of an actual mission critical mission critical installation, but but also that you're training your operators, you're training your folks on your team uh, to be aware of things that are, you know, more and more every day, more convincing than they've ever been from a phishing standpoint and things like that, and. You know, it, it's so important for us to have this conversation, too, even from the context of the larger AV and integrated technology industries at large, because, you know, these are conversations as you look at, I, I hate to be like this guy, right? But as you look at, at deep fakes and AI continuing to find ways to help us, there are also ways it can hurt us, right? So we have to have these conversations as a larger community because we don't, we don't always have the answers, right? And, and with that in mind, I want to kind of ask, you know, when you think about whether it's an AV manufacturer standpoint, an IT manager, or, or a, you know, even all the way up to a, a CIO, CSO, you know, what are some of the considerations that, that folks who may be finding their way into hardened security, mission critical security, control rooms, things like that? What are some of the considerations and what are some of the steps that they can take to uh, continue to improve their education and maybe applications of some of their systems? Yeah, obviously, uh, the education aspect. Uh, it's interesting because in, if you work anywhere in cybersecurity, you, it's a dedication to endless learning because the uh, attacks are always changing. Uh, the environment's always changing. Networks are changing. Uh, so you have to continually educate yourself. But there's lots of different organizations, you know, SANS, ISC Squared. Uh, there's lots of places where you can get education and a lot of it for free. I like ISC Squared. They have a, a newer kind of more um, introductory uh, certification called uh, cybersecurity. It's called the CC certification. I can't remember what the second C is, but it's a very, you know, base entry uh, level cert. But the idea is go and get this education because particularly if you've dealt mostly with commercial, you probably haven't been, if you've done small, medium business, you may not be pushed a lot uh, on the, uh, these are what we need for a product or an environment. So uh, the other thing is because you may be working with certificates, you need to understand if they're using different trust structures, Active Directory, whatever they're, uh, the different protocols for that. 
just so that you can understand, even though you may not be implementing that trust structure, but you have a device that has to implement to it. So it's good for you to understand the language and the jargon so that if you're having a problem getting a, a product integrated into that environment, you can understand this is exactly what I need from that administrator. You don't have to be the expert on, uh, you know, certificate trust systems, but you at least have to be competent enough to know. Uh, in the security industry, we actually, uh, I, I work on SIA's uh, uh, Cybersecurity Advisory Board, and we introduced this uh, SICC credential, which is a Security Integrator Cybersecurity Certification. And with that, uh, it's it's aimed at a base tech at two years uh, to demonstrate that you have basic knowledge uh, of mostly how to, if you have a hardening guide, how to implement things and hardening guides uh, for that. Um, and the reason being, a lot of times in procurement, you may have uh, such said uh, superstar with all of these different certifications, but is that the guy actually on the job that's going to put it in? And that's why we kind of wanted to look at a, uh, something that isn't, okay, I don't need to be a CISSP or some other higher uh, certification here, but the fact that the person actually doing the job has a basic fundamental knowledge of cybersecurity. So those are some places to start, uh, you know, getting educated. Well, and, and that's incredibly uh, helpful and impactful for folks, right? Especially as we start to see more and more of our enterprise uh, installations, our, our enterprise IT setups, uh, approach maybe some more of those mission critical best practices and protocols from a uh, a hardening standpoint. So uh, Wayne, look the, the the insight and the the thoughts you've given to us really today have been invaluable, and I, I know I've already learned a lot. And uh, I, I could speak for our audience too. There's a lot of folks out there really learn hearing hearing and learning a lot of this for the first time. So I appreciate you coming on, being willing to share some of this information, and uh, chatting with us today on Signal Flow. Uh, thank you so much for the the opportunity. Really appreciate it. And thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to Signal Flow on Avixit TV and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay tuned. We'll see you next time.